Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You, you, you have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but it's... respect. Old school. Chivalry. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host, Elliot Anderson, stopped it now behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA? NBA with the rules the way they are. Be honest. Uh, average <laughs> We will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I started covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Final seconds. What a finish. It's back-to-back titles for the Heat. The 2013 NBA Championship resides once again in Miami. Back-to-back NBA champs, the Miami Heat. Right here on the Hangtime Podcast, Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Ulrich Fox. What? Lang Whitaker. They found Rick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like to smuggle yourself into the into the U.S., man? <laughs> it's hard, man. what they do, revoke your passport? No, man. I, 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 <laughs> I went over on one passport, and then I tried to come back on another one. <laughs> and I think this, it confused the system. And they were just like, yo, who, who's this Ulrich Fox? We never heard of Ulrich Fox. <laughs> I heard that. Man. And I tried to tell them I was Rick Fox, and they didn't believe they me. They didn't want to go for it. They didn't want to go for it. Man, epic series. Epic seven-gamer um, between the Heat and the Spurs. Heat win another championship back-to-back. It's two straight for LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and the Miami Heat, big three guys. Uh, had we done the podcast after game six, we'd have been yeah. predicting gloom, doom, and, you know, and, and we did. Lang and I talked about it, and we talked to Phil Jackson about it on episode 122. There was some nervousness. In, in Miami for a lot of people, but the Heat pull it out. What are your What are your initial thoughts, Lang? I know we hadn't talked in a few days, you know, at least on the podcast. What are your initial thoughts on on how the Heat finished that series off and what what it looks like to you now in hindsight? Uh, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I I thought um, you know we talked about last week that if the Heat won the title or if the Spurs won the title, it really wouldn't be that surprising either way. Right. Um, I do think the Heat were the better team. I, I just think the Heat struggled a little bit with consistency throughout the finals and uh, finding that sort of fire defensively, at least. Um, I, you know, I thought I thought about Rick a lot during Game Six and Seven when the Spurs were turning the ball over, um, especially <laughs> Manu. Right. You know, I know Rick gets all upset about uh, the the value of a possession. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> I I, that's what I was thinking about the Spurs, and like they kept going to Manu, and he he, he wasn't able to to take care of the ball. Yeah. It seemed like. And you know what I, I I used to throughout the course of the playoffs, I used to get you know I used to think that that was more unforced by the opponents, whether it be the Pacers because their youth and inexperience and carelessness, mm-hmm. or at times maybe uh, uh, overconfidence from more you know from veteran players. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, you know, I I rare I was rarely able to to get to the point until game six or seven where I thought to myself, you know what, 
I think the heat actually turn up the heat to the point that <laughs> it, people step out of their comfort zone, becomes uncharacteristic. They do things that they wouldn't normally do. At the end of the day, you know, maybe the heat are not uh, set up individually outside of maybe LeBron uh, and Dwayne as like dominant defenders or capable of being dominant, but, but collectively they won. I think at the end of the day, you look back and you say they won a championship again because of their defense more than anything. And, and that, that's not anything that wasn't a storyline anywhere near close. Uh, when we talked about 27 game win streak and how dominant they were offensively and LeBron shooting, shooting statistics were out the roof. And so I guess I, 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 I would look back and for myself personally and say, you know, defense wins championships once again. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you guys at all, you look at this and you start handing out credit, you know, and LeBron obviously walks off with, you know, individual hardware in addition to championship rings. Um, but where does the credits go in terms of percentages? I, I heard somebody say yesterday, you know, that LeBron, they think LeBron has done more, you know, to help his team win than any individual has done based on the the load he carries, the fact that his teammates feed off of what he does offensively, his defensive prowess. I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far in measuring who does more, but I agree that he's got to get a lion's share of the credit based on how beat up Wade was all year, the fact that Chris Bosh goes scoreless in game seven. But I also think Eric Spolstra needs to get some shine for pushing buttons and being willing to play his hunches and then use his analytics to put the right guys in the right spots. I mean, Shane Battier in game seven, nobody saw that coming. No. Nobody saw that coming. I'll, you know, I'll say this. When 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 he when the Heat the Heat were the first team to change their lineup and they put Mike Miller yeah. in the starting lineup. Yeah. And if that happened, I kinda of thought, well, the Heat blinked. You know, yeah. we have two two fighters staring at each other. The Heat were the first to blink, um, and I didn't know if that was a sign of weakness or or a move they made, sort of knowing that it was a move into something stronger for them. But uh, uh, he, he Spolster made a lot of moves that, in retrospect, were the right move to make. Um, when, when Duncan was going crazy in Game Six, I was yeah. wondering why Haslam, why isn't Haslam out there? Um, Haslam ended up never really getting out there, and they were okay. Um, Birdman didn't play for a couple of games, and then he figured out how to get something out of him. So, uh, wow. you know, to me, Spolstra, he's, he's gone from being this coach who a couple of years ago was not going to make it through the first season of, <laughs> of the big three to now being a coach who's won back-to-back championships. And, and he's got to be talked about as one of the better coaches uh, definitely right now. And, you know, if they win another one, then we start talking all-time. All time what? <laughs> in the conversation. One oh, of the oh, yeah. No, I, I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. Just because he's young, yeah. I guess it's, maybe he's gotten less less praise because it seems, and I think also Pat Riley on his shoulder, sure, has yeah. overshadowed uh, him a bit. But I like him. I like him a lot. I like that he's been able to maintain the composure uh, when I watch in those press conferences. Win lose, uh, he's still he's still already focused on the next adjustments or putting things into perspective as it pertains to knowing that his team is going to be watching, the opponents are going to be watching, uh, and uh, has a handle on the game, knows what he wants to – he's driving it. I feel like he's driving it, and his mm-hmm. team is safe when he's driving it. Um, doesn't get rattled, and he has a confidence about it. Um, as it pertains to game six, though, 
when you mentioned when 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 Tim Duncan was going off and, and Haslam was still sitting on the bench, uh, they got out of that game by the skin of their teeth. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, look, I mean, you can say that he took the game back, or you could say that the Spurs lost an opportunity. And and and, and I don't for this, you know, for the life of me, understand. But I understand the move that Pop made because it strategically made the, made the most sense. But I'm always of the belief, you know, keep your best players on the floor. Right. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, Tim, you know, they went away from Tim Duncan in that second half for whatever reason. And, you know, we're screaming, screaming. I was at least, along with some of the co-anchors uh, <laughs> at NBA TV, <laughs> screaming to just play through Tim Duncan and right. play through Tim Duncan. And, 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 and it showed. I mean, here, you know, he was killing in the first half of that game six, and they were on their way to a championship. Yeah. And, uh, and, I don't know. At the end of the day, you know, uh, he got less and less involved, and and they got became less and less effective. So, and then, uh, and then he credit- wasn't he wasn't on the court at the end of the game when when the he got the rebounds. Two of them, yeah, two huge yeah. offensive yeah. rebounds. And, and to me, yeah, they had a guard three point line, right? But at the end of the day, you mean to tell me Tim Duncan on yes. Chris Bosh Is- cannot get out and run Chris Bosh off a three pointer? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know. So that you know that is in hindsight when we look at it because Pop's a great coach and and knows you know he made a decision. It, it just unfortunately you know cost him a rebound. And look, Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttlesworth, you know made a made an incredible shot. Man, they broke sure. it down on Sports Science. I saw that man, and and <laughs> and I I, you know, I never looked at a three pointer with so much uh, science to it as they talked about <laughs> him backpedaling and going up at the right angle and that shot having to, you know, and, and it was at the end of the day, man, it was just years of repetition for, for Ray and, and having been in that moment before in the NBA finals and had success, it was clutch, man. Paid for his salary. That's for sure. <laughs> do you uh, guys, do you look at pop's decisions in, the, in those final minutes in, in both game six and seven, ask yourself, you know, we're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, one of the one of the guys who goes up on the Mount Rushmore of coaches, yeah. you know, uh, in, in NBA history. But those were gaffes in hindsight that I don't know that, you know, Phil Jackson hasn't made those sorts of mistakes in the finals. You know, I don't know. I'd have to go back and review all the Red Arbacks games. But, you know, he didn't have those kind of mistakes. I mean, I thought Pop, because of his stature, got off a lot better than a coach without that would have in the same situation. Because we talked about it, but it didn't dominate the discourse. It wasn't like the only thing that was talked about. I think there's there's three things here. Number one, um, and Duncan talked about this after Game Six. That's the way they've defended that all season long. Sure, right. right. You know, it wasn't just a Game Six thing. That's whenever they were in that situation all season, Duncan was out. Right. It, it showed up maybe more in game six than it did at other times during the season. Um, number two, uh, none of the players questioned pop. Do you notice that? Like he, Parker didn't either after game seven, when he wasn't in at the end of the game, um, they all trust him. They all know what they do works and, and it has worked for a very long time. Um, and I thought number three, the Spurs have their system. They, they know what they're going to do in different situations, and when that situation presents itself, they say, here's what we do. We have a plan ready. We're going to attack it this way. And that's what they relied on. And, you know, as Duncan said, like a couple of unlucky bounces and everything everything's different. 
Um, also, if Kawhi Leonard makes a makes a free throw, we're not talking. We're not having this conversation. That's crazy, right? Probably. You know? Manu makes a free throw. Yeah, I mean they had yeah. they had yeah. opportunities, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it's you know it's it's the bounce of the ball and how it all changes. Skip, skip. Skipping around here to the the Spurs instead, and I'll get back to the Heat in a second and the questions I want to ask. But what where do the Spurs go from here? I mean, how do you? This was one of those. It felt like one of those old cowboy movies, you know, where you get the band together one last time and they go out in the blaze of glory and glory and don't. They didn't win the gunfight, so now we you look at them and go, well, what do they do next? I mean, do you do you keep that crew together? For another, you know, what, another couple of years to see if they might have another championship run in them? Or what do you do if you're the Spurs? That's well, a good question. Yeah. Look, you know, they, they, they won in the empathy category. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't have any more empathy for, you know, that, that the way they lost that series and how well they fought and how valiant and classy they are as an organization. And us, this is coming from a Laker Right. Uh, who you know who competed against them, but at the end of the day, looking back, really pretty honored to have competed against that group of guys uh, and pop because they just they just have maintained a consistency. So you know, but in all cases, at some point, that it's you know, it's virtually impossible to 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 continue on with Father Time. Yeah, on you know, no longer on the bench, but in the starting lineup. Uh, and so Tim, I think, is still has stuff left in the tank. We saw the best Tim Duncan we're going to see probably ever again. Right. Uh, and uh, Tony Parker still got a lot of fight. Do you want Manu as a seventh, eighth man on your bench? Well, we saw what he was like as a seventh, eighth man this year already. Yeah. Um, so I think they have to make some some changes. You don't have to get rid of the three, the big three, uh, but you have to you have to get someone else in there. Because yeah. uh, the, the youth around them, the two guys, yeah. why Leonard is special. Loved him. Loved Gary him. Neal. I don't know if you can find a way to keep Gary. He's, yeah. he's special as you know as a, as a third guard. Um, Danny Green. You know, Danny Green will hopefully evolve into more than just you know being a, 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 a three point shooter. Find find a mid game, mid range game, so that he can actually create some some dribble penetration and pull up stuff more right. effectively. And then he grows, and, and so that's a strong two, three, because both of those guys are great, you know, really good defenders. Right. And and so I like I like I like that there's still enough youth there next year, but I don't I wouldn't put it against I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Lang. What, I mean, same same thing along the lines for the Heat, Lang. Do you go another year with that crew? Obviously, they got opt outs after the thirteen fourteen season. Pat Riley made it sound like. Nobody should assume that they're going to break anything up until they let nature run its course, so to speak, you know, and contractually. Um, Bosch right. has been rumored and mentioned, and, hell, I, I did it. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and cop to it for my part. And I wrote about it, too, Saturday. I couldn't help it um, because I've seen so many times where you keep a championship team together a little too long, yeah. and then you get disappointed, and they, you know, and things fade and fizzle out. I mean, do you feel like, you go one more year with that group, obviously, and then move on. I feel like the way that he could improve is uh, at. I think you know they get Chalmers has big games, and then Chalmers has terrible games. Um, I just feel like they could use a little more consistency um, from some of their role guys, right? Because you never quite know what you're going to get on certain nights. You don't know if Mike Miller is going to be healthy. Um, 
you don't know. Uh, you know, they kind of found a steal in Birdman halfway through the season. Right. Um, you know, but they also have, you know, they had money in James Jones and Joel Anthony and Rashard Lewis, and they don't get a lot from those guys, if anything. So um, I feel like they they could just hey, use the Harlem Shake talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they could just use a little more depth and consistency to me. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're in. I don't think they need to break up the team right now, though. Yeah. Um, which is funny to say because you know if they had if. If, the if they lost game, yeah, if they lost game six, everybody would be screaming, "All right, experiment over, blow it up!" You know, totally, totally. But I, you know, it, it is what it is. They're the champs. I, you know what? I the weird thing for me, and obviously, we're rehashing the uh, the NBA finals here on the Hangtime Podcast. We hadn't had a chance to have our post game, you know, post finals wrap up here. So we're doing that in addition to talking about the draft coming up on Thursday night in New York and. Plenty of news. Doc Rivers going to the Los Angeles Clippers. Brian Shaw to the Nuggets. Dave Joger taking over in Memphis. We'll get to all that eventually. But, guys, I, my takeaway from the finals was so much more about the here now than it was the future. I, I, I felt like it was such a roller coaster ride, and LeBron was on the verge of either, you know, being labeled, uh, as stupid as it sounds, being labeled some, you know, somewhat of a failure in the finals or cementing his legacy with that second title, that it was hard for me to uh, to get past just how close he was to the dark side of of what he's experiencing right now. I mean, he looked like he sensed it in at the end of Game Six. He had a he had a desperate look on his face to me in those last fifty plus seconds of Game Six that I I was like, man, he's He's going out and he's firing up threes and then not going in and he's turning it over. And I was like, man, this is just a meltdown, you know. Yeah. And he got rescued to a point. I mean, obviously he he put the Heat in a position to be rescued with the way he played. You know, and then Ray and Bosch and everybody else had to chip in. But were you what was what do you take away from LeBron's attitude and the way he acted after they won and kind of how he's been the past few days? It's it's been interesting watching him, Rick. Just his the the pressure that seems yeah. to have been lifted. Yeah, no, I love him. I yeah. love what I've seen, uh, and and I I just think, look, we look back at that shot that Ray hit, and the only thing missing from a photo when they you know maybe erected in the offices or the practice facility of the Heat would be a John three sixteen post you know <laughs> sign behind him because Jesus saved the Heat, he saved LeBron's legacy. I mean, there was so much that went into that shot when you, when they look back on. I know, for like, say for LeBron, when he looks back on how it teetered, how his legacy, uh, and it was being written, man. Yeah. Uh, look, people were asking me, and I was having conversations in Miami about what does this mean for LeBron? Yeah. Because, you know, when that headband came off in that fourth quarter, man, and he had no concern for it, and he was just going as hard as he could yeah. to, to try and, you know, take his team over the edge. And then, he you know, he made the three, but he missed the second one that Chris Bosh got the rebound. Uh, for I mean, look, we, we I was sitting there like I was at the arena thinking to myself, man, this is gonna be. <laughs> people ran out of the arena and couldn't get back in for overtime. Like, people <laughs> gave up. You you know what the crazy part about it was, guys? If you watch the replay of that shot on the Bosch rebound, LeBron was calling for the ball again. Bosch threw it in the corner to Ray Allen, but LeBron was at the top of the key. He was at he was straight away three. Screaming for the ball. 
Yeah. You know, and if I was like, man, yeah. thank God yeah, but- Bosch threw it to the corner. Not that I, didn't, I don't have confidence in LeBron, but if I got a dude that's got to take and make a three at the end of a game, I want the dude who's taken and made more than anybody. Yeah. You know, uh, in a corner, I'll take Ray Allen from the corner over LeBron where he was any day in that same predicament. Um, you know, it, I think we all agree that when the headband came off, we saw a um, we saw LeBron who was a, uh, played at like a different level than he had played for most of that game. And and I my question is, and maybe it's not even possible, but how does he find and play at that level more regularly? Um, maybe it's un, maybe it's unsustainable. Yeah, that he went uh, he went jam- my, my, as my dad put it. He sent me a text, and he's still working out his uh, his texting skills yeah. at, uh, at at his age. And big ups to him. Happy belated Father's Day to all of our dads. Um, he sent me a text that said, uh, "LeBron is going Django," and I was yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "That's one way of putting it," you know. But he was definitely in desperation mode. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. you're right, Lang. I don't know that we get desperation yeah. mode all the time from him. That's he's not always pushed to that brink. You know, not just, always pushed I, I to that know. brink. I don't right, know if, right. for 82 games if he could play that way for you know 40 minutes a game. I, th- I just don't know if it's, that's humanly possible. Yeah, yeah. But that was a pretty impressive. Right. But look, think about think about the think about the criticism he's gotten in the past in those in those moments of of shutting down or not you know. Raising his game to, or even actually sh- taking the shot, or yeah, you know, he actually showed up, man, and I, 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 I was yeah. really impressed, man. I, I think he, you know, he and along with the Heat took a championship instead of backing into one or or actually losing one. Right, they actually made plays, and and the plays will be, you know, there for them all to look back over the course of their, you know, their lives now. But that that Heat team with the twenty seven wins in the regular season and all the hype of one of the greatest teams ever, they they found ways to win even in the darkest moments for them right. after blowouts in San Antonio where I thought that was it. Right? <laughs> yeah. They came back and and, 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 and LeBron was almost a, a, the quietest LeBron I've ever seen and here, here, you, here comes Dwayne Wade on no knees. So, you know, that team, just, you know, that team was destined for to be rewarded with greatness in the championship because they did it all year long but, uh, you know, Ray Allen, man, that pickup in the, in, in the offseason last year you know, the the worst thing that the, I think the Spurs did was have Danny Green break his record because he got pissed <laughs> off. Like he went for two four-point plays in one game. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's like you could see the look on his face after Danny broke Danny Green broke his record. <laughs> Ray was pissed, man. Don't mess that with was a lifetime. Worth. That was a lifetime career of, of hard work. Now we know. Uh, our- but, uh, you know, he got, he got something back. He got something back. Now we know why uh, Rick was – Rick was trying to recruit him to <laughs> exact big state, baby. Yeah, thank to... you. <laughs> he went to big state. He went to big state. You know, but I, I again, I, I think we, I tweeted it after Game Seven, and I meant it. And I know I took a lot of crap from the people who still don't like LeBron. Uh, seriously, the haters take the summer off. Rest your body, just like LeBron said he's going to do, and and rest your yapping about what he hasn't done in his career and that he doesn't measure up. Give the dude his credit. He, you know, he's led his team to back-to-back championships. Yeah. 
I mean, he's got two MVPs, uh, two finals MVPs. He's been to the finals four times before his 29th birthday. I mean, seriously, man. G- give the dude his due for one time. Just just this once. Yep. All right. Now, yep. now let's move on, obviously, to, to some more of the news of the day. Um, Doc Rivers is coaching the Clippers is, uh, almost officially. I think we're still waiting for – the the league's final approval, but uh, our main man from the L.A. Times, Brad Turner, has been all over this mess uh, for the past, what, 10, 9, 10 days, and uh, we couldn't help but getting him here on the Hangtime Podcast to, to give us the lowdown on exactly how this thing went down. BT, what's up, sir? Say to Rick Fox, what's going on, my dude? What's up, man? Uh <laughs> Are you happy, BT? BT's hey, happy because he got, he's, he's not doing coaching search anymore. Hey, well, let me, <laughs> hey, hey, Rick, can I tell you something? This has been crazier than Shaq and Kobe. Think about that. Well, I, well, you behind the scenes, so I know you know the, the, the man. How, do, how does this go down, BT? I mean, I, I, I had a flashback to the ABA when I first heard about it. Like, oh, you know, the Celtics are trading Doc Rivers, a dancing grizzly bear and uh, two cheerleaders to the Clippers for, I mean, what? how do we do this in 2013? Man, I, I kept thinking the same thing. I was like, are they going to throw in some barbecue chips to go with it? I'll take the chips, you know, and, and a nice fruit punch. I'll be good. <laughs> what you in know, the world? I mean, what is, how does this happen? Man, interesting enough, the Clippers were the team to initiate the talks with Boston a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. How they found out that Doc didn't want to be with Boston anymore, I, I don't know. I aim to find out. Right. And they were told no, just like Brooklyn was told no, you can't talk to Doc. But the Clippers never gave up. They kept insisting, let's keep talking. Even when everyone kept saying the talks were over, even when the talks were sourced to saying Doc was done with this, he didn't want to talk anymore. The Clippers just stuck with it. Imagine that. The L.A. Clippers were diligent in their pursuit of Doc Rivers. The L.A. Clippers, Rick Fox, not the L.A. Lakers, the L.A. not the L.A. Dodgers. The L.A. Clippers. And they're going to get this done. Are you kidding me? Boy, kudos to them. Yeah. How much of this was CP3? Well, you know, interesting enough, from the Clippers' side, they told me they always kept Chris Paul and Blake Griffin abreast of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. All the talk about him calling them, being upset with them, was not true. I saw Chris last Friday night in Hollywood at the event he had for these kids, and he was calm, he was cool, he was nice, he was fun to be around. I never detected anything out of the ordinary with him. Now, maybe he put on a good show. It was Hollywood, Rick. Maybe he was <laughs> acting for me. I don't know. But I never saw anything out of the ordinary with him. And he was just saying he didn't want to talk on the record about what was going on. So I don't know if he was calling or not because no one is saying it. Only he can answer that question. But either way it goes, of course you want to have your best players happy. Rick, think back when you guys with the Lakers and the big fella goes into Jerry West, I want Kurt out of here. Get me a new coach. Go get Phil Jackson. Well, what do they do? They went and got Phil Jackson. So if Chris Paul was saying, go get me Doc Rivers, he's available, guess what the Clippers did? They went and got Doc Rivers. <laughs> Brad, uh, Brad Lang Whitaker here. What, one qu- is, this, is this official? Is it done? Is there still a chance this is not going to happen? 
Lane, you stuck with those two guys, huh? I feel for you, my dude. I feel for you. <laughs> it's not official yet. I mean, I expect it to happen sometime today. I mean, I got one text message and one phone call from someone that knows Doc, someone with the Clippers saying it's going to happen. It's just that there is some legal lease going on with the contract right. and some details that have to be figured out. I'm not a lawyer. I can barely spell a lawyer. <laughs> no, so maybe, maybe Rick Fox. I mean, did you play a lawyer on TV, Rick? I think you did one time, didn't you? I, I, I have, yes. I <laughs> well, see, they, they, there you go. Maybe he can explain that part of it. But my understanding is that sometime today, and I hope it's sometime today because last night I was up until <laughs> um, the wee hours waiting to hear that it was done, and it was not. So if it's not done today, then I quit. VT, <laughs> <laughs> do you does this automatically vault the Clippers <laughs> into that conversation of two, you know top two or three teams in the West next year in terms of not just on paper and what you do in a regular season, but having Doc. You get CP back and whatever other moves they make. This gives you a chance to be one of those teams standing at the end when the Western Conference Finals come around? You know, in a conversation, yes. Top two or three, I, I, I still would, would never say San Antonio's done. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. They've proven that. Oklahoma City will get Russell Westbrook back. They're going to be good. Memphis is still a good team, even though they're losing their coach in Lionel Hollins and they have a new coach coming in. The Lakers, they're teeter-tottering, don't know what's going to happen there, but can you really discount them? But perhaps they're not in the top four, top five anymore. Denver has a lot of talent, and they have our old friend Rick, Brian Shaw, Shaw. better known as the trophy because of his head, (laughs) going to the the Nuggets. So, yes, the Clippers have one of the better coaches in the NBA they are in a conversation, and I would say for sure top four, which is saying a lot for the L.A. Clippers, that by having Doc Rivers here, by having Chris Paul, by having Blake Griffin, and then adding pieces around them, they have to be in a conversation. BT, who else do you put in, in that mix in terms of if you get Doc, you got CP, you got Blake Griffin. DeAndre Jordan was rumored to be you know on the way out for Kevin Garnett. That, that apparently – it's not going to happen right now, but maybe it might not happen at all. What other pieces do the Clippers need? I mean, you got the coach. You'll have the point guard once they sign CP3 in free agency. You got the all-star, you know, big man in Blake Griffin who's improving and getting better. But what else is missing? Like, what else do the Clippers need to become a, a solid uh, championship contender in the West? They need a shooting guard. It was something they liked all last season. Mm-hmm. Willie Green started most of the season out of necessity because Chancey Billups was hurt and was returning from his Achilles tendon injury. Mm-hmm. Even with that, as we all know, Chancey is a true point guard. He's not yeah. a shooting guard. He played the position because they didn't have anyone else to play it. And he only played 22 games last year. And so I don't know if he's coming back or not. And if he does, most likely to be in the role of a backup point guard. Somehow, some way, the Clippers must find themselves, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", solid. Doesn't have to be great or spectacular, but a solid two-guard who can shoot the basketball, who can defend the guys out here in the West, and who can just be a really good solid teammate to play alongside Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. That's their number one priority after, of course, they sign Chris Paul. Yeah. 
What it, BT with 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 Donegro on the way out and and you know presumably Doc there. Where do you see changes just in the way they they're going to play and the way that they maybe can improve scheme wise? Well, the first scheme leg will be they will stop complaining so dog. <laughs> my God, man, and they were better than they were my first year covering this team. And once they stop the whining, once they understand that they can, I'll say it again. Once they stop the whining as a collective unit, stop talking to the officials all the doggone time, and just play basketball, that'll be one giant step forward. The other thing is people always said the Clippers did not have a very good half-court offense. That will change. Hmm. You and I both, we, all of us know that Doc will have a good system in place that will be run to his maximum efficiency. So they have those two things working for them, and they'll be better on defense. Yeah. Because their defense was okay, but with the aspects that they have, and with someone like DeAndre Jordan, if he's still around, being a really good rim protector, they right. could slow teams down quite a bit. On the wings, trapping teams, and if you get to the rim, there's DeAndre Jordan blocking shot. So you have all of that going on, and you know, they'll just be a tougher-minded team because that will not have some little weak sisters playing for him. These guys have to be in tune to what's going on. So the potential is there. I mean, one thing I'll say about Blake Griffin, as much as he improved and got better at complaining, and he still did complain a bit too much, the kid works very hard on this game. He has a ways to go. We all know that. But he's willing to put in the work. And as long as he's willing to put in the work and he's willing to listen, you know, I think it helps them quite a bit. BT, what do you do with uh... – Hey, BT. Oh, go, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. B- BT, with um, – you know, you mentioned Bischoff just in, as we celebrate coaches and changes and hires. I mean, it's, it's been a minute from – how close did he get to the Clippers' uh, job? You know, he and I talked – we talked throughout this whole process. You know, I talked to him yesterday. He was very excited about it. My understanding is the front office, being Andy Roser, Gary Sachs, Gerald Mackins, Eric Miller, which is Donald's son-in-law who works for the team now, they all were pushing for Brian Shaw. Now, Donald Sterling, he seemed to be more inclined with wanting to hire someone that had been a head coach prior to this. So the, Byron Scott was hired on this list. So was Lionel Hollins. Because he just, I kept hearing, he kept thinking that Brian might be a little bit too nice to the players, so like Vinny Del Negro was. But someone like Manuel Hollins, we saw him push a player. We saw him like Jerry Bailey, what are you doing, dude? Sit your yeah. butt down here. I mean, put his hands on someone. I was like, man, is this the NFL or what? <laughs> What's the goal, Lionel? Don't take that mess. But but Brian was high on the list. They liked him. He had a really good interview with, with the team. He had a sucking interview with the team and with Donald Sterling. And they were all very impressed. But when Donna makes up his mind on doing something, man, it's hard to change it. But I'm happy for him. He's going to – and he's not going to a team that's not – doesn't have a chance to win. He's not going to, dare I say it, the Charlotte Bobcats. I'm, <laughs> you know, soon to be Charlotte Hornets, whatever they're going to become. You said it. DT 57 wins by the Nuggets is a big number. Ooh, yeah, that is a lot. But 57 hey. wins, and they lost in the first round. Stepping, stepping into that. Ah, how about that? So if he wins okay. 50 games and they get to at least a second round of the conference finals, then he's accomplished a lot. Yeah. 
Gotcha. BT, let me ask you about a different strain of this whole thing. And the city of L.A., and I mean, I, I know you represent Pasadena all the way, you know, to, Dina to love, Malibu. Baby, by the you know? Rose Bowl. That's how we do it. Come on, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, you got the streets on lock from all the way out in the San Gabriel Valley all the way to Malibu. So I, man. I know you know how they roll out there. But Listen what you? What is <laughs> what is what is L.A. saying about Doc Rivers showing up out there? Because they they've had big name coaches before. They've had iconic coaches. You know, obviously, in Phil Jackson, dominate the landscape out there. What does Doc do from a marquee standpoint and from a credibility standpoint with Los Angelinos for the Clippers? Well, the first thing they're saying is, why couldn't Doc be the coach of the Lakers? <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> I'm like, well, because you have a coach for the Lakers already. You got I mean, Mike Tony. That's, that's number one. You know, but as you and I, all of us know, Doc brings instant credibility. Yeah. Doc brings respect from with the players, organization, opposing team, officials, the media, fans, season ticket holders. Everyone knows that Doc Rivers has won an NBA championship. Doc Rivers has been to two NBA finals. Doc Rivers is one of four active coaches to win a title. Yeah. Think about that. Four guys have won titles that are actively coaching in this game right now. So what he has done for the people of L.A., the Laker fans, they're still Laker fans. Right. They still have a healthy dislike for the Clippers. And now they just like them. They used to be, they just dismissed them. Now we don't like them at all. Whereas Clipper <laughs> fans can't stand Laker fans. And, and I've heard it from both sides because so now you go from covering the Lakers to covering the Clippers, we're going to decide if we like you or not. And I said, like me or love me, I don't care. I'm still going to be there. <laughs> kidding me? But no, I, I kind of I look forward to working with Doc. I think um, you know, he'll be fun to be around, fun to listen to what he has to say. I mean, obviously, Rick, when I was covering you guys, and Rick, and you had that whole crew with Phil Jackson, when he gave you a quote, yeah. it boy, it shook the world. Now, I don't know if yeah. Doc's going to shake the world, but it'll be a good quote. Definitely look forward to having him around L.A. Some good basketball from the Clippers. BT, one last thing before we let you get out of here, man, and. And we've just assumed this whole conversation that Chris Paul is going to resign with the Clippers, you know, with Doc's arrival. Um, what does that do to their plans and free agency in terms of what else they'd like to get done? I mean, obviously they have salaries stacked up, but, you know, what it, it, the Dwight Howard chatter was always out there, you know, this idea that they would trade Blake and that I thought was ridiculous. You know, there's no way the Lakers are going to do business with the Clippers if it in any way allows the Clippers to improve, you know I mean, why would they right. want to hand over Dwight? But is there something else out there they can do? Uh, maybe not getting Kevin Garnett now after the commissioner talks about it, but what else can the Clips do to really impose themselves on that championship picture for the 2013-14 season? Well, one thing they're going to do is wait to see what Boston does with Paul Pierce. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, Boston buys him out for his $15 million contract for $5 million, they're going to make a run at him and they think they have a good chance to get him. Now, everyone in Boston is saying that Danny Ainge will not buy him out. He's going to try and trade him first, mm-hmm. and there's a market out there for him. If he can't trade him now, then he'll trade him during the season. If he can't trade him during the season, he'll keep him, and his money comes off the books. So that's number one that they're looking for. The second thing is they, the Clippers will they have a cap hole on Chris Paul's contract, 
And because of that, they don't have the full mid-level exception to use, which is, what, about $5 million or so. Mm -hmm. So all they have is a mini mid-level exception, which is $3 million. They really want to bring back Matt Barnes, but their fear is or their concern is that Matt might get offered more than that. And if he does, they just can't afford to get him because they don't have that in their salary structure. And with Chris Paul being – once they re-sign Chris Paul, which we assume they will – their salary goes from like $44 million to over like $62 million. Mm-hmm. The tax is $71.7 million. For all the money that Donald Sterling is spending, he would not be paying the luxury tax. You can bet that for sure. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't blame him. I don't blame anyone else not wanting to pay that punitive tax. Right, right. Uh, you know what, Rick and BT and Lang, the one silver lining in this whole thing for everybody in L.A., especially for BT is you do know that Doc Rivers coming to the Clippers also brings another friend of ours to L.A., back to L.A. T. Lou. Tyron Lou is <laughs> <laughs> the, hottest, the hottest thing in that. I think the last time I checked with him, he said that the three hottest people ever to set foot in L.A., um, John Wayne, Michael Jackson, and T. Lou is how he explained hey, hey, And in what order? I know. <laughs> so if Tyron Lue gets to come back to the to L.A. and be on that Clippers bench with oh, Doc, boy. I'm telling you, I need to set up shop in L.A. this year just so I could listen to T. Lou Clown. And uh, and, and big, big ups to T. Lou because I know he's putting in work, you know, sharpening his skills as a coach. Hopefully he'll be a head coach someday. And uh, But one of my favorite people, I know one of y'all's favorite people, man, getting a chance. To be in those L.A. streets again is going to be fabulous. I, I'm looking forward to Doc in the clips and, and how that whole thing plays out, BT, and I'm glad we got you at the L.A. Times to chronicle the whole thing for us, man, as always, and keep us Hey, in, hey, in Lane, once again, Lane, I'm sorry about those two guys you got to work with. Man. <laughs> <laughs> work with them, okay? Please, work with them if you can. No doubt. BT, Brad Turner from the L.A. Times joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Right, thanks, That's uh. That whole idea, man, uh, Lang and Rick, of the Clippers now taking over as the team to watch in L.A. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. I know Laker fans would scream and balk at this, but the Clippers are, are to me, right now, are the, are the team that you really have to stay on top of. I mean, Kobe's coming off injury, and I know this offends your Laker sensibilities, Rick, but <laughs> <laughs> the Clips are the team. <laughs> You hear that? I heard the coin flip. <laughs> He's still a coin flip away. Get, from, I'm gonna get you on a rant. But I'm saying the, the clips, I, the clips are hard to take your eyes off of right now. As soon as you started on this line of questioning, I just I could hear Rick angrily shaking. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for them. They they actually made a move that that like you said showed some persistence and right. consist, consistency and and uh, wanting to remain on a course to of excellence. Um, that's definitely some deep water swimming they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but look, I, I, you got to look at Chris Paul and say that if they were going to keep him, you know, they're going to, they were, he was going to need the respect of a coach that, that he believed could, could take them there. Yeah. So they're doing the right things, man. Um, uh, the Lakers, uh, you know, we're, we're in the lab right now. Definitely <laughs> in the lab. I wish I could report on what we're building. Right. <laughs> But the I cryogenics can't. lab, maybe. Uh, yeah, I but you know, hey, the news is that Kobe, it's, it's, it, we're building something big enough that Kobe Bryant said he, he wants to play for three or four more years. So, 
So that's uh that was interesting news yesterday that I read. So yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I'm don't shovel dirt on us yet. No, no, I'm not saying the Lakers are done. I'm just saying they haven't they haven't made the kind of headlines and fireworks that the clips are as of this moment. They they very well could. Free agency's coming up. Um Dwight Howard is out there, obviously. The Lakers want to do everything they can to hold on to him no matter what. Let Some me former remind Lakers you, the, talk Lakers, about. The, the Lakers and the Clippers went the same distance in the playoffs. <laughs> right. Very good point. So, very the good end of point. the day. It's, hard to, it's kind of hard to hear what Rick's saying with all the dirt Sakers shoveling on him while he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just pointing out that, you know, things change and times Times like bring yeah. about, bring about different, you know. Thing. Doc to me is a Doc to me is a decisive blow in that Lakers Clippers battle. That the Clips are saying, "Hey, you've you've been historically the franchise that went out and had the iconic coaches. Well, we're gonna get one of our own and see what works for us." And I like that. Say cool. Look, they had Larry Brown, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't the same Larry Brown then. You know, he wasn't the Larry Brown with a championship in. Right, yeah. that he is, yeah. you know, that he's become. I, I just Doc, Doc, was, Doc was a Clipper too. Yeah, yeah I mean, Doc brings a lot to the. That. He brings a lot to the table to me in terms of his rapport with players and the way he manages a team, and how they function and the responsibility he puts on the players. I thought that was interesting. What BT said, Lang, about Doc's not going to have guys playing for him that don't bring it at a certain level every night. And I, I thought a lot of that in Boston was KG. Yeah. And Ray and Paul Pierce and just the, the standard they set. But they took yeah. that cue from Doc. But I think CP3 can set that same standard. Yeah, know? but, I mean, I think you have – I think a player setting it without the backing of a coach that everybody respects sure. is tougher. Do you think, Rick? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. He, look, I, I, I think the coach is the anchor mm-hmm. in, in all these situations of success where, where you, you, you know, the coach sets a tone, the system – Keeps keeps things on on track, disciplines, you know, motivates, and you know, and I think with Doc as a point guard, former point guard in this league, that's also now coached. You know, you look at some of the partnerships with other great point guards in tandem with their coach that understands how to orchestrate and run a run a team. There's good success from that. You know, I'm intrigued that the the Jason Kidd Darren Williams uh, pairing yeah. as point guards because uh, I think you'll get you'll get a a stronger Darren Williams, which then equates to, I think, a stronger Brooklyn Net team. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Lang, what do you think is the, so far, I mean, we've had coaches hired, you know, Brian Shaw in Denver, uh, Jay Kidd, as, as Rick mentioned, in Brooklyn now, you know, Doc in L.A. Who made the biggest move for, you know, respective to their situation? I mean. I think I think the Clippers, but the, the so, interesting yeah. thing, to me, is just thinking about, I mean, there's a lot of coaches with new gigs, you know. I mean, yeah. Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta, Larry Drew in Milwaukee. Um, there's there's a lot of coaches with new gigs, and not all of them can be successful. Right. You know, um, and we're at that point where you're like, well, we got a new guy, and it's we can, you know, we have, we can be hopeful that this is going to work out, and we think this is going to work. But the reality is, you know, there's only a certain amount of wins and losses that go around. So some of them aren't going to be successful. And I, I guess now we wait and see who makes it work and who doesn't. But it's not going to work in every one of these places. But let's not forget, Boston needs a coach now. Yes, I know. And Lionel so, Hollins is out there. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see, you know, where, 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 who they, who they land with. You said Lionel. I didn't. I wouldn't have thought Lionel wouldn't have a team after what he's yeah. done at Memphis yet. 
Boston might be the perfect situation for him for the next four, you know, four or five years. Yeah. Well, um, I think he'd work well with the young talent there. Um, and who else? The Sixers, they, did they get their coach yet? Nope. No, they haven't. I mean, they're still, you know, looking. Um, and mentioned Dave Jerger, you know, taking over for Lionel Hollins and Memphis. So they do have their vacancy filled now. But I don't know. I, I just – I think the way we've watched the league the last couple of years, if you really notice – that relationship between the coach and his star players specifically has become such a scrutinized thing. You know, you talked about Eric Spolster, his first year, nobody thought we didn't think he was going to make it out. Right. You know, for the long haul in, in Miami because remember he got brushed. Remember that D Wade, I guess, went off on him on the bench one yeah. time. LeBron bumped him in his chest that time and everybody was, oh, it's over. You know, they're going to get rid of Spolster. <laughs> yeah. You know, Pat Ryan's going to take over. It's, that relationship has to be massaged to the point that those players are willing to trust and do whatever that coach sets out for them in order for you to have the kind of success that leads to a long-term, you know, relationship. Because Lionel Hollins, George Carl, I mean, we had, what, six coaches that coached playoff teams this year that they got fired or didn't get new contracts? Yeah. Negro, I mean, it's just winning is not enough anymore, fellas. You have to win and cultivate the right kind of culture inside the locker room and on that floor, and then you have to be in tune with your front office in the whole analytic situation and how that relationship jives. I mean, it's just so much to me on a coach's plate now that maybe wasn't there, you know, a decade ago. Right. You know, um, and I think that's a tough environment to navigate for these coaches these days. It's very different landscape. I, that's what I mentioned to Phil last week, uh, Phil Jackson here on the Hangtime Podcast, guys, about – I asked him, did he long, did he miss being in the eye of that storm watching the playoffs? He was like, uh, no. You know, yeah. I, I, he's like, I looked at Pop's face and reminded myself of that's clearly why Phil wants to come back in a front office capacity and, and no longer with the stress that comes with trying to coach a team. And it's – I don't know about you, Lang, Rick. You you played under that stress and in, in, in that dynamic. But, Lang, watching it from our perspective, I don't know about you, but I just feel like – Man, it's changed so much in in yeah. over the years since we you know since I started covering the league. I was also just thinking, you know, if you think about Spolstra, I mean, that's really a top down situation in Miami, and it goes above him to yeah. Pat Riley. Yeah, um, you know, Riley that they handled the succession there very very well, and uh, and Riley's had Spolstra's back throughout all this stuff. And you know, actually, just yesterday, Spolstra told the story about how after Game Three. He was in the hotel room and he was really upset and kind of low. And there's a knock on the door and Pat Riley's standing there with a couple of bottles of wine, <laughs> and they give him a laptop and he breaks down game film with them all night. You know, yeah. Um, I mean, having that as your backup is you know having one of the great coaches of all time there able to do that stuff with you. Yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty special thing, and it, it kind of speaks to the the stability of the organization, which. You can bring in a new coach, but sometimes the organization doesn't really have it together from the top down. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's not always just the coach. There's a lot of other things there, too. Yeah. No, it's when I think about coaching and playoff situations and the stress, I I think to myself, yeah, Phil and I are on the same page. Yeah, we, don't, we don't want that stress. <laughs> Yeah, we don't we don't need them headaches when we can go we run a show somewhere else and stay out of the stay out of the crossfire, huh? <laughs> nice, nice, nice little uh, setup uh, there, Rick. Nice. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I think uh, when you when you play the game and you know the the exhilaration that comes with 
you know, the playoffs, win, lose, I would say draw. I'm short of San Antonio Spurs, which there was a draw versus, <laughs> versus, the, versus what they had to go home with. Um, you, you know, the ultimate is winning the championship, and, and it kind of alleviates and washes away all of the anxiety and stress and, and, and fear and sleepless nights you may have. Right. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think about that, like how much I miss competing – Right. Uh, and the only way I can compete now is to actually would be to actually coach, you know. Yeah. And so that's that that's a long journey. And so I'm happy to see guys that I I played with like Brian Shaw get get a job in Denver, and I'll watch him and live vicariously through his, <laughs> his success. And and I, and it's why I root so much to see Phil Jackson uh, back on the sidelines because I you know I, I know these guys and I yeah. know I know um, how great they are uh, as individuals first and foremost, and I know the impact they can have on the game. So if if Phil is uh, if Phil is no longer up for the task, uh, um, I hope he finds a, a a job in management and and builds a builds a team and still you know puts his imprint on on the game. Yeah. One one way that uh, one way you could still compete would be doing bragging rights. Oh no, I, I knew he was going to really that. really. I knew, I knew this was coming, Rick. Uh, I thought I thought he would have the class to not bring it up and just a suggestion. Throw it all in our face, but you should, say, cool, you, should, you should have seen how meek and mild he was in the in the in the, in the after game six in the hotel in Miami. He was not uh, beaming with confidence. <laughs> well, speaking of confidence, guys, there are there are a bunch of guys who are going to be walking across the stage in New York on Thursday night. Uh, who believe they're going to be the next wave of superstars in this league. Nerlens Noel, Otto Porter, Ben McLemore, Victor Oladipo, Trey Burke, my man from Michigan, um, Anthony Bennett from UNLV. And then there are some other names that i got to be honest with you. I, they're not household names for people who have focused on the NBA, you know, and not necessarily focused on the college game. Lang, you you watch a little college hoops. Who is Alex Lynn from Maryland? Like who, who are? I'm no, I'm not. I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying this dude is like shot up people's mock drafts, and we got great draft stuff for you on NBA.com. They got the consensus mock draft, all sorts of great content from Scott Howard Cooper and all of our guys at NBA.com. But Stephen Adams, the big seven footer from Pitt. I mean, there there are these guys that to me always come around during draft season that completely. Missed the radar during the college season for for people who don't intently watch college game. Are you interested in this? That would be this dynamic Thursday night <laughs> in terms of the draft and where you know I got to do my homework on this Alex Lynn cat. I actually uh, I've I've got to cover the draft Thursday night in New York, so I actually I watched some Alex Lynn footage on YouTube yeah. last night, uh, and you know someone had edited together edited together game footage of a couple of Maryland games. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty good. Yeah. But of course, of course, you're seeing the highlights. You know? <laughs> I did not watch enough to see the total picture of what he is and what he is going to be. Yeah, I, I just I think this is a really a draft that's about potential and maybe getting a guy who's going to be a rotation player for you for a long time. But I don't know that there are superstars out there that are you know uh, obvious picks to to go out and make. Yeah, it's funny that this is the 10 year anniversary of the 2003 draft. I know. Where so many, you know, of the game's current stars came from, but uh, yeah, Darko Milicic, uh, Chris <laughs> <Hayes>. <laughs> oh yeah, LeBron and D Wade and Melo and Bosh yeah. and some other dudes that could play a little bit too. Look, I'm not even going to pretend to be excited about it. <laughs> it's, 
Look, I mean, I I read, I I try to do my homework. I, I um, I'll tune in and watch on Thursday night to see, um, like you said, those highlight clips and packages, and I'll celebrate, you know, for these young men their moment of of hard work that's got them to that point where they've gotten to walk across the stage, and this crew will be shaking the David Stern's hands for the last time, and so, so you know, it it's their moment, and uh, we're gonna get to know them over the coming, you know, months next season. But uh, right now, no one really is standing out as that have-to-have player. And, and if I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I have a number of those guys still on my roster who, you know, have been taken the league by storm past Kyrie Irving, you know, I, I got to be thinking, how do I get uh, maybe a, a, a pick lower uh, to get my filler young player with potential uh, and maybe get a veteran in return, or how do I, how do I, you know, forego this pick and get some picks next year? And hopefully, with the young kid Wiggins coming out, you know, I can get up to that those type of uh, of, of, number, of player caliber. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up. I, you know, like I said, I we they get us so they get well, me so juiced. No, I'm serious. They get me juiced when. Have you seen this player metric stuff on on NBA.com? Like, have you seen some Pretty of this technology, cool. man? It's just. It's ridiculous. I love because it's a cheat sheet for guys like I me. Go to hang, I only go to hang. I go to hangtime. Hangtime. dot com. That's only <laughs> good answer. Good answer. So, so if you're not, so if you're not writing it, then <laughs> good answer. Player metrics. Player metrics, NBA, dude. It's under what? It's. I'm, I'm gonna tweet it out right now, so what you can it? you go right to it. It's under it's our draft NBA. content. Com? Yes, sir. It's player on, metrics. Yes, this player metrics thing. It's 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 worth checking out. You gotta. We're gonna get you schooled on the draft, Rick, before Thursday night. Well, I, I'm on the, I'm on the site right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, I need to be able to say something smart. <laughs> Listen, you 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 leave the smart you leave the smart stuff to Lang. Leave the smart stuff to Lang, and and I'll and I'll clean up the messes, man. We I'm not so, I'm not so sure that's we got Lang's love show. we got love for you either way. Oh, uh, I, I see the player metrics now, so it breaks down. Each each kid, yeah, it's school position, country, stat. everything. Oh, okay, yeah, it's crazy stuff, crazy good stuff. Um, but we got, like I said, we got the draft coming up. We'll we'll dive into free agency next week on the Hang Time Podcast because we'll be knee deep in it by then, um, and all the good stuff that's going on. But fellas, hell of a season, hell of a finals. You know, couldn't ask for a better way to me to wrap up the actual game season in the NBA. Um, Props to the Miami Heat and Spurs for putting on the showcase for the world. Um, and we appreciate everybody hanging out with us this this week on the Hangtime Podcast. Big ups to our man, Brad Turner, from the Los Angeles Times, informing us on all things Doc Rivers and the Clippers and the new world order that is abound in L.A. Rick, you and Laker Nation better get it right. Boy, I'm going to left I, I, in the fumes. I'm going down to the, to the practice facility to check it out now. What's going on? <laughs> Let's get it right. Lang, enjoy the draft. We'll be watching and listening and reading on the All Ball blog on NBA.com, making sure you guys, you and John Schumann and Scott Howard Cooper, get it all right and get it all out there for everybody. Um, hey, Lang, you misspelled a word the other day. <laughs> He's editing I, I, now. I might want to talk to your editor about it. Wow. <laughs> this dude is editing now, Lang. <laughs> Which which word was it, Rick? Some big word. I think it was lawyer, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you right here next week on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. 
To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, Sekuna Matata.